Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hello and welcome to Yule Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going. It's a hot day today. Mm-hmm. We were just lamenting about how sweaty we are for different mm-hmm. reasons Yeah. prior to recording. Well, I mean, we were both kind of cleaning. Yeah. Just different forms of cleaning. Mm-hmm. All right. Before we dive into this week's topic, oh. it is the first episode of the month, so it is time to thank our lovely patrons over at Patreon. Yay! We have one to thank. Nice. nice. <laughs> our, our Lone Ranger, Tom, who is a lovely, lovely man. Thank you, Tom, for thank being you, Tom. our patron the arts if you would like to join tom in supporting our show we're not going to tell you no and no. actually we would greatly appreciate it so yeah. head on over to patreon.com slash podcast and you can support our show for as low as a dollar a month without further ado we are going to be discussing diogo alves Ooh, cool name foreboding name foreboding name Information was pulled from the following sources, a 2022 All That's Interesting article by Leah Silverman, 2022 Discover Walks article by Natalie, 2022 Lisbon Connection Post by Julie Cruz, I'm going to say Cruz, 2022 Allocation article by Mamerto Adan, 2020 The Collector Post by Mehek Kapoor, 2020 The Portugal News article by Kim Schiffman, 2018 Lethbridge's News Now article, 2017 Atlas Obscura article by Raphael F. Arras, 1841 edition of The Morning Post, 1841 edition of The Taunton Courier, and Wikipedia. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. All right. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. Today's subject is someone that even though you may not have ever heard of him by name, I guarantee that you have seen his face. Oh, okay. I know that seems like it would be impossible, but let me explain. See, the head of Diogo Alves, lives in a jar. 
and the reason you've likely seen him is because he is perhaps one of the oldest well-preserved human heads in history and one of Portugal's first serial killers. I that was not on my bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. Best, one of the best preserved heads and Portugal's first known serial killer. Actually, he's their second serial killer. There's a woman had the distinction of being the first serial killer in Portugal. Oh, but she can't be like the first, first, because she's a lady. Yeah. She's a dumb doo doo booby face. Yeah, so everyone's like, oh, he's the first serial killer in Portugal. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. I'm going to cover that lady in a future episode because I want to make sure she gets the recognition that she deserves, even though Absolutely. she was awful. Well, I bet. <laughs> I bet. She did bad things. <laughs> At least three people. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one's going to be a doozy. Anyway, Diogo Alves was born in Samos, a village in Galicia, Spain, to a poor peasant family in 1810. When he was a child, he hit his head after he fell off the family's horse. That always does it. That does it. Yep. He lost his mm -hmm. frontal frontal lobe. I was like, that's the first of the of the triangle. Well, after he hit his head when he fell off the family's horse, it earned him the nickname Pancada, or blow in Portuguese. What? Mm-hmm. That's rude. Yeah. Diogo was sent to Lisbon in 1829 when he was 19 by his parents to make a living, and he did so by serving in the houses of the social elite in the capital of Portugal. Serving the wealthy people of Lisbon was fine for a time, until the death of his mother in 1836, which seemed to be the catalyst that turned him to a life of crime. My first thing is, like, how did he get that nice of a job at 19? Right out. Like, his, his parents must have known somebody, right? Cleaning for people like the elite? I feel like that is like a lower class kind of system. That would be like a cushy job. Yeah, I think it was pretty common for the lower class or like poor peasants from the countryside to come into the capital and just be like servants I'm here <laughs> for the social elite. Like they would just show up and be like, "Hey, I'm here to do whatever." So mm. I wonder if that's a, the same thing where, like, you know, a lot of like New York companies like to hire Midwesterners because of our perceived work ethic and never saying no <laughs> to yep. anything. I wonder if that was kind of a similar thing. Probably, probably. Like they're from the country; they'll work hard. You know, until their mom dies. <laughs> Real salt of the earth people. Right. He spent a lot of time doing drugs, drinking alcohol, gambling, and then stopped communicating with his family altogether. Dang. He also started a relationship with an innkeeper in Palieva named Maria Pargenina Gertrudez. Maria yearned for a life like the wealthy people that Diogo used to work for, pressuring him to provide for her which some people believe is what really pushed him to start robbing people. Yeah. I, I mean, the drugs and stuff were probably the gateway. They were the mm -hmm. gateway to her. So Yeah. Yeah. From 1836 to 1839, 
Diogo worked at the Aquadutu das Agua Livres, or the Aqueduct of the Free Waters. Okay. The structure, which was commissioned in 1731 by King John V, was paid for by putting taxes on items such as olive oil, wine, and beef. Hmm. Fun fact. Okay. The aqueduct, which is nearly one kilometer, or 0.62 miles tall, spanned the Alcantara Valley, and through a complex series of underground galleries and walkways, it supplied drinking water to the people of Lisbon during a time when water was scarce. That's like the perfect breeding ground for a serial killer. Mm-hmm. All the different mazes and stuff. Mm-hmm. No, oh, the water. <laughs> oh, no. Why is it always water? <laughs> it's always the water. Officially opened in 1748, or at least that's when it started transporting water, it survived the 1755 Lisbon earthquake, and the construction on the aqueduct itself didn't conclude until 1834, just two years before Diogo appeared on the scene. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, that's also the perfect place for him to dump bodies, if he were to do that. Now, when I say that Diogo worked at the aqueduct, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. what I mean is that he really used the Ezervatu Gui Mai Aguas das Amorayas, or an underground gallery, which is known as the Arches Walk, as a perfect place to commit the spate of crimes that he would conduct there. The Arches Walk, fun fact, was closed officially in 1844 due to the high number of murders and completed suicides that took place there. It took them that long? I'd be like, you know, enough is enough. For reference, the walkway is 65 meters, or 213 feet, off the ground. No. No, ma'am. And just in case you're like, at what height can someone fall and still survive? Because I was also curious. According to a study conducted in Paris in 2005, where they looked at 287 fall victims, they found that people who fell from eight stories, or 30 meters, or higher, had a 100% mortality rate versus falling from a height of 20 to 25 feet or six to eight meters, at which point you can still survive. Hmm. So this is over twice the height where it's like... So it's 100%. Like, yeah. everyone died. Yeah, one 1,000%. If you fall off this thing, you are dead. You are not surviving this fall. Damn. I should note that there is one exception, and I had to include this. That of a woman named Vesna... Volovich, from Serbia. This flight attendant was able to fall 33,330 feet, or 6.31 miles, without a parachute, and survive. Is she now, like, silly putty? How did that... The fuselage crash landed in the thick snow at a favorable angle. And that is how she survived. Her low blood pressure caused her to quickly pass out when the cabin depressurized, and that prevented her heart from bursting upon impact. Was she the only survivor? Of the 28 on board, 27 were killed upon ground impact. She was the only one that survived. 
and she holds the Guinness World Record for surviving the highest fall without a parachute. I'm sure she's loving that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Horrific. When was that? January 26, 1972. So she could still maybe be alive. She died at the age of 66 on December 23rd, 2016. Affair. You you die whenever you want to, ma'am. <laughs> After that point, yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to Diogo and how awful he was. Back to the back to the horrible, <laughs> horrific story. Now that we had this heartwarming survivor one-shot yeah. survivor story. I just saw that and I was like, what in the hell? Like, how is that possible? Yeah. So, at the age of 26, he stole and made illegal copies of keys to the aqueduct. The yeah. arches walk was used by the farmers and merchants as a bridge and roadway into the city. And it also became the scene for Diogo's crimes. Great. Let's let's just rob the working class. Because why not? Diogo would lay in wait on the bridge for people returning from Lisbon after selling their wares. After robbing them, he would blindfold them and, in a sick sort of act of land piracy, get rid of them by pushing them off the edge of the aqueduct to their death. So he wouldn't really have to get his hands dirty. Yep. Because hmm. if you fall from that height, like, good luck identifying the remains, basically. Yeah. In the beginning, the police believed that it was simply a string of completed suicides following the liberal revolution of 1820. This resulted in an uptick in suicides as people lost their money and homes. Yeah. Dark, but I can mm -hmm. see it. That is, until some of the locals started talking about the aqueduct killer. Diogo continued his spree of thefts and killings over the course of three years resulting in the deaths of 70 people. 7-0. Seven 7-0. Zero. Seven zero. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. Half of the reason that the crimes went on for so long was the fact that Diogo preyed on poor peasants, and after falling from such a height, it became harder to identify his victims. Jeez. The police ended up closing down the bridge entirely in an effort to put an end to the senseless killings once and for all. Unfortunately, this just pushed Diogo to form a new plan. Sure. Why not? Diogo formed a posse and set his sights on the wealthy residents of Lisbon, such as the families that he used to work for. Yeah, because he was already familiar with their homes. Mm-hmm. The group committed a string of robberies. But their final theft resulted in them killing four people in the home of a local doctor. Hmm. The March 17, 1841 edition of the Taunton Courier included information on Diogo's final murders. Quote, The crime for which they suffered was the murder of four persons, the family of a Dr. Andrade, and subsequently of a fifth, one of their own accomplices. It was Soleil Rose, first offense of that sort, but Diogo Alves had, as it appeared from the evidence, already acquired a hateful celebrity amongst his associates for deeds of blood and plunder, and it was for that reason that the enterprise, though suggested in the first instance by another, was, by common accord of the gang, entrusted to his sole management. 
Dr. Andrade lived in the Hua Ya Alecrim, a central part of the town. Being a bachelor, his family only consisted of an elderly woman, who was his housekeeper, her two daughters, girls of the ages of 19 and 16, and a Gallego servant man. So he killed the servants and their families. Mm-hmm. Like he always did. Yep. Great. The first step that Diogo took was to corrupt the fidelity of the Gallego servant, whom he was in the habit of meeting at a wine shop in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That point gained, a night was fixed for the execution of the scheme. The first attempt was relinquished in consequence of the drunkenness of one of the gang, who became very noisy and obstreperous. A second attempt was in like manner unsuccessful, owing to the presence of several gentlemen who unexpectedly visited the doctor and remained at his house till a late hour. Mm. At last came the fatal day, the 26th of September, 1839. The doctor had gone to Carcavelus and was not to return till the following morning. Immediately after nightfall, the traitorous servant went below and admitted Diogo and another, whom he secreted into his own room, leaving the street door half open in order that the others, who were to come singly not to excite suspicion, might steal in unperceived. At nine o'clock, the housekeeper, her two daughters, and her son, a youth of about twenty years of age, who had gone to visit her, sat down to supper. This was the moment appointed for action in order that the intended victims might be all secured together. At a signal from the Gallego servant, the whole gang rushed in. The woman screamed aloud, but as the windows were shut in, their cries could not be heard from the street. Diogo seized the eldest girl, Hashado, the youngest, Salero, the old mother, while the others rushed upon the young man, who, grasping a common table knife, there being no carving knife, defended himself with desperate valor. Is that when he killed one of them? Aiming a stab at the foremost of his assailants, he wounded him in the face and felled him to the ground, on seeing which Diogo, letting go the girl whom he was endeavoring to smother, went behind the unfortunate youth and stabbed him with a poignard. The young man, staggering back, fell across the supper table, which he overthrew, and the lamp being thrown down and extinguished, the victims and their destroyers were left in total darkness. Great. As if this wasn't already traumatizing and stressful enough for them. Yeah. At this moment, the eldest girl crept away, and in her terror, instead of endeavoring to make for the street door or the window at the front of the house, hid herself in an adjoining closet, which had no outlet. Meanwhile, the robbers had lit a candle with a lucifer match. What's a lucifer match? I don't know. Let me look. I've never heard of that before. A lucifer match is a self-igniting match. So kind of like ye old lighters? <laughs> One which could be lit by striking on any surface, as opposed to safety matches which can only light against the material on the side of the box. Oh. So this is one that, like, you could strike it against anything and it'll light versus matches today where you have to strike it on the the little strip on the matchbox. Diogo, missing the girl, went in search of her. She, rushing out of the closet, ran along the passage towards the window, which she reached. But before she could raise the sash, this is horrible, 
He seized her and bending her body back upon his knee, actually broke her spine and then seized her throat with both hands till he felt assured that life was extinct. Oh my god. That would have required so much force. Mm-hmm. He then went back to the supper room, where, by his orders and under his superintendence, the other two females were strangled by his accomplices. Damn. The next step was to drag the four bodies into a back room, where Diogo, after having placed his hand upon the breast of each, to feel whether their hearts yet palpitated, stamped with his heel upon their heads till he crushed their noses and broke in their teeth. Oh my god. I, okay, admittedly... I wouldn't have thought he would have been this aggressive, because mm-hmm. up to this point, from what we know, he only pushed people off a bridge. Yep. That's, that's quite the escalation. Yeah. The tragedy being concluded, the work of plunder began. The plate was easily got at, and a bag containing 200 gold ounces was found in a writing desk, but the object that had principally excited their cupidity the large iron chest, which, according to the treacherous servant's report, held an immense sum in gold and notes, baffled all their attempts to force it open. The fifth murder was committed in about a fortnight after, upon the person of the servant who had let them into the premises. So they went after the the guy that helped them break into the doctor's house. Okay, I thought, I don't know, for some reason I thought they were already there. So this servant got away the first time because he wasn't actually physically present when they did this. I think he fled during the time of the murder. Ah, so they're just tying their loose ends. They tracked him down. Oh, God. In fact, it continues, the wretch had fled in consternation the moment he perceived that murder formed part of the plan. Because mm-hmm. he thought they were just breaking in to rob the place. He didn't know that they were planning to kill everybody. For the want of any other place of refuge, he went to the house of Diogo, rushing into the very jaws of the destruction that awaited him. There he lingered out a whole fortnight in close confinement, watched at every moment, devoured by vermin, haunted by the terrors of conscience, and tormented incessantly by the expectation of the dreadful fate that ultimately befell him. He was strangled in his sleep by Diogo and another, who thought, by that means, to secure themselves against discovery, end quote. In 1840, Diogo and the rest of his group were arrested and sentenced to death, although the court was unable to pin the actual aqueduct murders on Diogo. They had plenty of evidence to prove his involvement in the deaths at Dr. Onderdod's house. In an interesting twist, Maria's 11-year-old daughter, Maria de Concesao, testified against her own mother in court, sharing her involvement in her lover's theft and murders. Interesting. In the March 2nd, 1841 edition of the Morning Post, they published the following about Diogo's execution. Quote, Lisbon, February 22nd. On Friday last, Diogo Alves and Antonio Martins Salero, the two principal parties connected with the murder of Dr. Andradad's a year and a half ago, were hung at the usual place of execution at the Quays de Toho, after the usual previous procession from the prison and throughout the city. Notwithstanding the time that had elapsed, the circumstances of their crime were so horrid 
that no sympathy whatever was felt by the populace with them, as has been the case on some former occasions. Yep. They were killing their own people. Mm -hmm. Horrifically, too. And not only that, but three of them were women. Yep. And one of them was a young woman. Yeah, the youngest was 16. Mm -hmm. Another of their companions, called the Entejador, was sentenced to suffer with them. But his confessions and the evidence elicited from him, having very much contributed to make the case clear against Diogo Alves and the rest, his sentence was commuted by the queen for that of transportation to Africa for life. Interesting. To me, like, probably an indentured servant or something. Or, like, have hard labor. Or they, have a pen they had a penal colony in Africa. Yeah, they might have. The woman, Gertrudez, who lived with Diogo Alves and was acquainted with all the proceedings of the gang, will also be banished to Africa for life. Diogo Alves did not confess his crime till the very last moment and is said to have offered violence to the priest who visited him in prison to induce him to confess. His companion confessed everything long before. It appears that both these persons were concerned in the murder and robbery at Mr. O'Neill's, where, in order to get into the house, they actually sent to Galicia for a man called Joao Doalo, who had some time back been a servant there and made him the instrument of their plans. Okay, so he wasn't a previous, like, he didn't work there anymore. Yeah. He was probably scorned and was like, hell yeah, rob him. Yeah. Two soldiers who had belonged to the same gang were executed some months back, and the bringing these men to justice has had a very beneficial effect here. In fact, Lisbon is now under better order altogether, both as respects public and private repose, than it has been for some years at least, end quote. The previous article was expanded upon in the March 17, 1841 edition of the Taunton Courier. Quote, execution at Lisbon, horrible crimes. Diogo Alves and Salero, one of his accomplices, expiated their enormous crimes on the scaffold on Friday the 19th. The crowds at the place of execution and along the streets through which the men were led exceeded all that had ever been seen before. It seemed as if the city had poured forth its whole population to witness the mournful procession and the appalling spectacle in which it was to terminate. Every window was filled, every shred or other projection that could afford room to stand upon was surmounted by spectators, and yet amidst that immense multitude, not one face bore the expression of pity. Hell yeah, they're monsters. <laughs> there was not, it is true, any sign of exultation, but the utter absence of those marks of sympathy usually evinced on such occasions gave strong evidence of the depth and force of popular feeling against the victims of offended justice in this instance. Mm -hmm. End quote. Diogo and the group of killers were some of the last to be hanged in Portugal before capital punishment was abolished in 1867. Really? Yeah. I mean, there were some that were hung after them, but they were like some of the last ones. That's crazy. In an interesting twist, following his execution, Diogo's head was severed and preserved for study by scientists and doctors of the Iskola Mijiku Siyogika of Lisbon. At this time in history, phrenology was a big area mm -hmm. of study, and yep. doctors at the time hoped that by studying the bumps on one's head, or even the shape of someone's skull, they could learn more about what type of person they were 
or predict if they would become a criminal. I freaking love phrenology. Right? In an interesting twist, I don't think they ever did that for him. Yeah? They just they were just like, he was an asshole. I just wanted to see his head in jar. Yeah. <laughs> Screw this guy. Yeah. Today, Diogo continues to reside in a jar of formaldehyde solution in the anatomical theater at the University of Lisbon's Faculty of Medicine. He died via hanging on February 19th, 1841, at the age of 30. That's still there. It's still there. Gross. We'll look at it later. Yeah, I have pictures of it. It's weird. And that's Diogo Alves. Horrible. Mm -hmm. I would have never predicted that he would have killed like 75 people. Mm -hmm. Damn. And it makes me wonder too now, because of how violent the five were, right? Mm -hmm. I wonder if he started to get a feel for that and did stuff to the victims he pushed. Especially if, like, who's going to recognize their body when mm-hmm. they hit the ground like that? He could have done anything to them. And people yeah. wouldn't have known. That's true. That's very true. So, because I imagine if he's as sick as he is perceived to be, mm-hmm. he probably didn't just escalate one night. Because that was, like, yeah. murdering, like, one or one to two people a month. Yeah. It said it was like one and a half people a month. Yeah. So I feel like you don't do that every month for three years and just do the same thing. He probably did escalate. I would imagine. Especially if he's still doing drugs and stuff too. Mm Mm-hmm. Gross. Thanks. (laughs) You're welcome. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, Click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. Are you pregnant and thinking about what making milk for your baby will be like? Do you wonder why feeding human babies human milk has become so challenging? I'm Lo Nigrosh, a lactation consultant and host of the Milk Making Minutes a podcast that explores baby feeding through the lens of systemic and cultural barriers. Come listen to others share their insight about their own milk-making experiences and empower yourself to feed your own babies in the way that feels best for you. And this week's podcast plug is the Milk Making Minutes podcast. Loni Grosh's podcast explores baby feeding through the lens of systemic and cultural barriers so that you know your struggles are not your fault and your triumphs really are the miracles you feel they are. Nice. I actually shared my own breastfeeding journey in episode 111 of her show if you want to hear it. And we'll have a link to her show in the show notes. That's awesome. And this week's listener question comes from the Yield Crime Out of Context Twitter account. Oh, no. <laughs> And they want to know, what is a moment when you shocked yourself with your own actions? Oh, boy. I don't know. (laughs) I'm trying to think of something. Mine would probably be the time during my girls' weekend in Erie when, while under the influence of THC, I turned to a table of complete strangers and asked them what actor played the dude. Instead of using my phone to Google it, 
and <laughs> they responded. So now I will never forget who Jeff Bridges is. Nice. I do have one. So I don't know if this still holds true because it has been a minute since I've been clearbing post-COVID. I don't think I have, really. But I used to go out dancing in college. And if I would get drunk enough, I would drunkenly shout that I no longer had diabetes and I was cured and I would run. <laughs> <laughs> like straight up run from anyone I was with. <laughs> There's one point in particular, I was at this really well-known gay club in downtown Minneapolis and I lived just outside of downtown in like this horrible like crack den as a college yeah. student and it was really cold and I was walking with my roommate and he was like okay well when you get home you need to test your blood sugar and take your insulin and I was like no I don't and he's like what do you mean and I was like I'm caring bitch and I ran like straight up ran six blocks and went up two flights of stairs and just passed out on my bed and then when he finally got there he was trying to help me and I like exploded all of the test strips like all over the floor oh god and then the night ended with him attempting to make a frozen pizza in the oven and he fell asleep and we woke up the next morning with a black pizza in the oven <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> God. But yeah. If, so the moral of the story is if you mix too many liquors, you no longer have diabetes. It's a really fascinating science and I encourage you to not listen to it. So good to know. Yeah. You'll wake up with it and it'll be so much worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hungover and have high blood sugar. <laughs> On that note, what's something good you'd like to share? Something good. I recently had a pretty cool conversation with someone who is another type 1 diabetic. And they are way cooler than me and are actually like a part of bigger things. They're part of the Time and Range Coalition, which is a coalition working towards getting medical professionals to agree that it is just as important if not more so to focus on the time and range when a, when your body is naturally kind of ebbing and flowing with diabetes like in a safe way and accounting for all of the little highs and lows as opposed to just your shot in the dark a1c number that is just a snapshot in three months of time mm-hmm and so I was nerding out really hard with her and <laughs> having a really good conversation. And it was just really nice to find somebody who had kind of a similar background. She was diagnosed in college too, which was really cool and rarer. Probably, it's probably more common now. But yeah, I just had a really good conversation with her and it made me feel really good to kind of nerd out about diabetes a little bit and like a safe way where there isn't a doctor around the corner being like actually <laughs> your body doesn't feel that way and I would know because I read about it so it was really nice nice to have that moment what about you what's one good thing 
similar to, I think it was last week when I talked about cleaning my office, I've been trying to be better about taking on smaller projects so that I'm still, you know, like cleaning, but I'm not overwhelming myself Mm -hmm. by being like, I got to clean all the things. Right. Like a 12 step day and like clean the kitchen and then clean the bathroom and then clean and then vacuum Mm -hmm. all the floors. Yeah. So today I decided to tackle Charlie, my ball pythons enclosure, and you're supposed to clean them out at least every six months. Like I'm sure some people do it more often than that, but you for sure should do it every six months. (laughs) And so today, even though it's only been five months, I made the decision to clean it out just because it needed to be, it needed to be cleaned. And I kind of wanted to treat my special boy. So I took everything out, sanitized everything. Thomas had purchased this pop-up enclosure thing for Quill, our bearded Mm -hmm. dragon, a while ago. And it's got lid for better, for, you know, lack of a better term, that just zips closed. And so it's kind of like a mesh thing. So I was like, I'm going to borrow this for Charlie so he doesn't like randomly escape in my office and I (laughs) will lose him forever. So he got to hang out in there while I was cleaning his enclosure and watching 28 Days Haunted or whatever on Netflix. Nice. So, yeah. So it didn't take forever. And I plan to, after dinner, clean Pascal's enclosure. So my nice. spotted salamander. Because I haven't cleaned his in a hot minute. And I feel like I should treat my little Muppet baby to yeah. a clean enclosure. Honestly, too, like, shout out to Pascal for, like, beating the odds and surviving super long, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no idea how old he was when we basically kidnapped him from the wild <laughs> and <laughs> made him a oh, house man. pet. He has grown a lot. He is so pampered. I literally feed him worms. He doesn't even have to work for them. And so he's so <laughs> chubby. I'm sure his little heart's going to explode someday from being so chubby, but he's living his best life. In Was he an all-odd he coming? Yeah. He's a funny boy. Holy holy smokes. What? Adult spotted salamanders can live about 20 years, but some have been recorded to live as long as 30. So he'll live, he could potentially live as long as Charlie. Yeah. Because ball pythons live can live up to 30 years i could have these two special boys until i'm 70 oh my god they're like spotted salamanders are very personable and make great pets just make sure to wash your hands he is such a good boy he's oh i love him so much his little muppet face i had no idea they could live that long i thought it was only a couple of years in the wild he's such a good boy he would not survive if we re-released him into the wild. There's no oh, way. No, he'd be like, he Mom? would die. <laughs> Mom, where are my worms? Mom? He would try to find his way back and be like, ma'am, ma'am, feed me. I need worms. I can't. I've forgotten how to survive. <laughs> anyway, shall we? We shall. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, 
If you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. If you'd like to support the show, but you can't do so financially, we got you. You can just leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, Podcast Attic, and I'm sure there are some others out there that I don't know about where you could leave us a rating and review. Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Facebook and Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. On TikTok, of course you are. Follow us at yieldcrimepodcast. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. <laughs>